0: you're listening to the labor radio podcast weekly on this week's show
1: it felt a little bit weird seeing the machinist union for example who is you know who's involved in this rail dispute talking about how many doors their members are knocking for working class champion you know uh uh, rafael warnock and he's not been on the forefront of this issue he didn't even make the time to go vote. He was at home campaigning.
0: From the Valley Labor Report, railroader Matt Weaver on the fallout, next steps, and lessons learned from the rail dispute.
2: When I started there, most of the meat coming in into Kansas City was swinging. And you had to be able to pull swinging beef. And that's how I got accepted. I, if you didn't get a hold of it just right, you'd get that little steel wheel right in the middle of your head
0: on the heartland labor forum teamsters local 955 president jerry wood talks about the women in trucking and the importance of warehouses
3: these refiners um, great employers of union labor in delaware pennsylvania new jersey have to go out on the marketplace and buy rins um it costs i think it's a buck 91 a rin now um and that imposes an operating cost basically an anchor uh, around the refineries um, that's over a billion dollars.
0: From The Labor Show, Senator Chris Coons joins j to talk about the renewable fuel standard. Well, we're uh, trying to
4: build up our local organizations, uh, uh,
0: the University Labor Council is a coalition of all the campus unions, and we're uh, trying to encourage workers to know their rights. On Labor Radio on WORT, University of Wisconsin unions are reaching out to students and fellow workers to make sure they know they have rights on the job.
5: The focus comes in on Kendall Jenner and then the violence and and all of it's over. Like all it took was for her to open a can of Pepsi. Yeah. And it ended violence in America. It was really quite powerful.
0: From the On The Job podcast, Emma Hartley and Cleo Cruz, Talk about woke washing.
6: Black women particularly are left out of any studies of like the Communist Party, for example, is because of this idea, this sort of anti-communist idea that, you know, these people are dupes of Moscow, they're these robotic, like people who just tout the party line. But if you actually like drill down and look at what they're writing, they're really just like <laughs> this is a class analysis of what organizing ought to look like in the South, right?
0: And In our last piece, from the We Rise Fighting podcast, an interview with Dr. Sharice burden stelly professor and co-editor of Organize, Fight, Win, Black Communist Women's Political Writings. That's all coming up on this edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. And if you like what you hear, take a moment, subscribe, share the show. It's what we call Sonic Solidarity. I'm Chris Garlock, and this is the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show.
2: Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell.
3: A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention
0: You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison.
1: All righty, folks. All right, all right, all right. We're off the radio now. Uh, We're going to hit a couple of stories really quickly before we get to Matt Weaver. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, So, you know, Matt, let's just recap what has happened for us in the last week. With Biden signing this rail deal, um, you know what? What all? What led up to that, and what does that mean for y'all um, that are going to be working under this contract now? Well,
8: we got the Presidential Emergency Board recommendation, and then that was just a recommendation. But it was it was better for maintenance way than any other craft because we got our craft specific ass we wanted him better better um away from home expenses pretty diem on um, that kind of stuff and we're the only craft that got that um but we maintenance of way voted it down uh with the signal department and the um oh it was the fireman oilers and the um smart td which is the conductors smart transportation um so then we were back at the bargaining table and um biden called on congress to impose not the peb but those tentative agreements that our four crafts voted down mm. um so the house went about it um presented they you know they voted to impose which is not really democracy if we voted no how does the the house and the senate impose an agreement so i went Right. I was essential employee and then we went from essential to expendable at the bargaining table. Right. And um sick day it's it's ridiculous we don't have a, any paid sick days. It's absurd.
1: That is that is ridiculous and you mentioned that that you know um it is it's anti-democracy to force y'all to work under a contract that you voted against. And you know, here we're 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 having the Democratic Party, is all democracies on the ballot, democracies on the ballot. We're the party of democracy. We're the part, you know. Uh, they're hammering us with this messages, which, which is not, you know, not unreasonable because obviously the Republican Party has really given up the idea of you know majoritarian rule, and and we understand that, and that's you know, the messaging is not bad in of, in and of itself. But how how do you message that, and then? directly go against the will of these rail workers
8: well if you look at the vote count um in general the democrats lean far more in favor of us getting those sick days than the republicans Mm -hmm. a couple republicans jumped on board but it seemed like that was grandstanding or maybe even (laughs) pandering for votes (laughs) i mean there is some influence there but that is because i don't know the exact number but do we move if it comes to like move up to 70% of all freight, you know, parts of all freight that moves in the country ships by rail, you know, it's, mm-hmm. that's a big, that's a big footprint. And, um, you know, solidarity cross craft solidarity is our key. And, um, we really don't have that a whole lot in my career, but railroad workers United has really stepped up and, and, and it's important that we work together because really rail labor mm-hmm. is, is
1: is there's there's a great divide in much of real labor absolutely i mentioned this to you this morning warnock won in georgia i'm glad he won in georgia very happy he gla- he won in georgia i would have voted for him if i was in georgia uh but also it felt a little bit weird seeing the Machinist union, for example, who is you know who's involved in this rail dispute, talking about how many doors their members are knocking for working class champion, you know, uh, uh, Raphael Warnock, and and how much of their PAC money presumably went to you know sending out mailers and advertisements and stuff like that, and it, and it just it felt weird because he's not you know he's not been on the forefront of this issue. He didn't even make the time to go vote. He was at home campaigning. He, he didn't, didn't vote. He didn't vote. He yeah. didn't
8: vote. And I was all for him. I made calls for him too. Mm-hmm. And he didn't vote. And you're like so frustrated with that kind of public servant, quote unquote, that who who did he serve by not making a vote? Who,
7: right.
8: who does Manchin serve in the midst of coal country when he's declared a yeah. Democrat? but he votes against labor a lot of the time he he, he mm-hmm. it's 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 very frustrating i mean i believe that citizens united and the McCutcheon supreme court de- decisions have corrupted our republic and we've turned <clears throat> we've turned to politicians serving their their campaign financiers and letting lobbyists write the laws what the hell is that
2: mm, all right
1: thanks matt appreciate it have a good one Thank, Thank you. you, guys. Have a great week. All right. Appreciate yep. you. Take care. I'm
9: a truck-driving woman, and this woman's going to fill her daddy's shoes.
10: And that was Truck-Driving Woman by Patricia McGuire. And we played that song. I'm Judy Ansel, by the way. We played that song because we got a truck-driving woman right here. And that's Jenny Agee. You just heard from Jerry Wood. She's his mother, or you're his, well, whatever. (laughs) I want to know, did your daddy teach you everything you know?
2: (laughs) My daddy taught me what he could. He was a diesel mechanic Ah. and drove a lot of farm equipment. I learned a lot on that too.
10: Oh, really, okay. Well, Jenny Agee drove a truck for 40 years as a Teamster Union driver. She also has been an active active with the Teamsters Union for more than 47 years. You're about to get a pin, I imagine, uh, pretty soon, right?
2: I hope so. <laughs> yeah,
10: right. Okay, and um, and she's also been an organizer. Yes. So uh, that's quite a career, Jenny. Uh, what made you decide you wanted to be a truck driver?
2: I had three little kids. My ex-husband had. Left, and Uh. I had to feed them. I tried to do it on traditionally women's jobs, and I was having to have government assistance, and I wasn't going to raise my kids on welfare, so I had to go into a man's job. Uh, Back then, that was a man's job. And affirmative action had just started going into effect, and they were hiring women.
10: (laughs) So they had to hire women,
2: right? They had to. uh, That or pay a fine. Yeah, tell me what
10: your reception was when you applied.
2: Well, the company itself, they were just biting their tongues and doing it. Mm -hmm. The men, once I got in there, they had got together and made a pact. We don't speak to the women and they'll go away. Ah, yeah. And nobody spoke to me for probably about the the first 30 days. So who trained you? Uh, They had... um, Some of the senior drivers that they actually had hired or were paying them extra Ah. to teach us to load and and different things.
10: Mm -hmm. And so, were there any other women?
2: Actually, there was, it started out with about 30 of them. Really? But by the end of the 30 day, it was 30 day probation. Uh And by the end of the 30 days, there were five of us.
10: Wow. What, and why do you think that was? Was it the, The cold shoulder they were getting from everybody else. A lot
2: of it was, and a lot of it was the women. uh, They came in with the attitude that the men were supposed to change their culture for us. Yeah. Instead of realizing, no, we're walking into their world. Mm Mm-hmm. And they just wouldn't tolerate it. So
10: so what? There's a lot of foul language and. Oh yeah,
2: (laughs) bunches. Once you showed them you could and would do the job, that's. Uh How I finally got accepted. Yeah, was showing them. Yeah, not only will I do it, I can do it. And the old adage was true. They said a woman couldn't be as good as a man beside her; she had to be better. That's the truth.
10: That's the truth. <laughs> yeah. You
2: had to absolutely excel at what you were doing to ever be accepted.
10: So, how hard was the job?
2: When I started there, most of the meat coming into Kansas City was swinging. And you had to be able to pull and beef. And that's how I got accepted. I, if you didn't get a hold of it just right, you'd get that little steel wheel right in the middle of your head. And one of the guys on the meat dock had grabbed it wrong, and he couldn't move. If he'd moved, that steel wheel was going to come down. So I just politely walked over and asked him. I said, well, Dick, can I help you? And through gritted teeth, he said yes. Mm-hmm. And after I did, I grabbed it and took the pressure off so he could change his grip. Uh uh-huh. That's when they started talking to me. Really? Yeah.
10: When they saw that you were actually willing to willing go? and able to do it. Yeah. But yeah. how'd you learn to do it? You just figured it out.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's you just kind of watch what's going on and then you do it
10: (laughs) yeah well thank you very much Jenny Agee Uh, Jenny Agee was a truck driver and an organizer and a grandmother right right (laughs) yeah thank you so much
2: well thank you for having me
1: Crousey, presented by the Law Offices of Pond, Lee Hockey, Giordano. Talk, listen, and speak to
2: the region's most influential leaders. This is The Labor Show with G. Doc, and Crousey.
7: All right, ladies and gentlemen, around the Delaware Valley. Welcome to the Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I'm sitting in the driver's seat for Krause tonight. Uh, happy holidays to everyone. Uh, certainly, we've got a great show. But we're very fortunate uh, because there are a select group of our political leaders that care very deeply for our workers, obviously uh, for our consumers. And uh, I'm ecstatic to bring onto the uh, program Senator Chris Coons from Delaware. Uh, Senator, how are you, sir?
3: Doing great, J. Doc. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the chance to join you and Krause to talk about these important issues.
7: Absolutely, and, and we also have uh, uh, John Bland on the line from Burger Makers Local 13, who's uh, you know been shouting out your, your your praises throughout the broadcast. Because if if if, if, <laughs> Thanks, if, John. if, if, if it wasn't for you, and of course uh, you know Senator Casey and 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 uh, Representative Scanlon Boyle and Allcross uh, and Fitzpatrick, we'd we'd be in trouble. I mean, we you know if you would talk about uh, the uh, legislation that you're introducing. Uh, it, uh, you know, the, to lower the cost credits for the Renewable Fuel Standard uh, in order to, you know, keep things going.
3: So, um, as, I, as I expect you've probably been talking about on this show tonight, uh, for members, for folks who are listening, the Renewable Fuel Standard goes back to like 2005, and it says that anybody who's selling fuel in the United States has to blend a certain amount of ethanol or advanced biofuels in it. And for the merchant refiners, which are the ones we're particularly concerned about, uh, Paulsboro and Monroe, and uh, for me in particular, Delaware City, the PBF refinery, um, that means they have to go out and buy these things called RINs. um, And RINs, which are renewable identification numbers, completely artificial creation of federal law. This law was supposed to produce more and more and more advanced biofuels. It hasn't done that. The EPA has set the level for how much you're supposed to blend. Uh, the last couple of years, well above production, and so these refiners, um, great employers of union labor in Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, have to go out on the marketplace and buy RINs. Um It costs, a, I think it's at a buck ninety-one a rin now, um, and that imposes an operating cost, basically an anchor. Uh, around the refineries um, that's over a billion dollars. The bill that I'm working up with Bobby Casey, and you mentioned them, uh, Mary Gay Scanlon, Brendan Boyle, Don Norcross, uh, we are, and uh, Congressman Fitzpatrick as well, um, we are going to impose a price cap and say to the EPA um, that you need to find a way uh, to, to keep the prices of RINs affordable. Um, And that, frankly, would generate a new source of revenue. These uh, RINs would be dedicated uh, to, you know, advancing biofuels, uh, restoring uh, habitat, uh, but bluntly uh, putting a cap on the price so that, you know, we don't have to have this up and down and up and down for the refinery. And we don't have to have uh, folks we care about worrying about uh, their jobs and whether or not the refineries are going to be sustainable for the long term.
7: Senator... uh I know you're you're on a train and, and, and I, I know this is a busy time, but we just want to thank you for your efforts and and, and what you're doing uh, and, 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 and tell you that. You know, obviously, we support you and we appreciate uh, your support on the issue. Um, you know, we're here if you need us.
3: Thank you. We're going to have a lot of work to do together to get this done to John, to Krause, to you, Jay Thank you for a chance to be on. I hear the men and women of Delaware who have reached out to me about this over and over, and I look forward to
7: working with you to get this done. Senator Chris Coons, thank you so much, sir. Take care.
0: Up next, Labor Radio and WORT.
7: On a cold, snowy Tuesday, members of the University Labor Council were out in front of the Helen C. White Hall handing out leaflets and engaging students. The Labor Council's message, you have rights on the job. Labor Radio spoke with Harry Richardson, a member of AFSME Local 171, who described the action.
4: Well, we're here with the Univers- University Labor Council, a uh, coalition of the workers on campus, TAA, Uh, AFSCME Local 171 and 2412 AFSCME, and we're here to encourage workers to know their rights and to be involved with their unions on campus. Do a lot of people respond? We've had good response so far. We had good response last week. We plan on being out here weather permitted for the next several weeks, and uh, outreach to a lot of students. Is there a specific goal here? Uh, Well, we're uh, trying to build up our local organizations, uh, uh, the University Labor Council's coalition of all the campus unions and we're uh, trying to encourage workers to know their rights.
7: In particular, the council pointed out that when an employee is called in to meet their supervisor, they have a right to representation. Well, do they have a right to join a union under Act 10?
4: People can still voluntarily join the union, and we still represent people in grievances and disputes with their bosses. Right.
7: That was Harry Richardson speaking for the University Labor Council, describing why they have been out in front of the Helen C. White Hall every week for the last several weeks. I am Frank Emsbach from Madison Labor Radio.
0: It's
1: time for the Worker of the Week. On the Job. And I love the people I'm working with. With Francis Leach. No taking care of business. All right, well, this
9: is On the Job. Normally, you would be expecting the voice of Francis Leach to be entering at this moment, but today we have a hostage takeover with <laughs> uh, myself, Emma Hartley, and
5: Cleo Cruz.
9: We thought, given that it's sometimes a rare occasion to have two queer unionists, in yeah, the room, we have a very uh, interesting topic of discussion for this week. We're looking at woke washing in workplaces.
5: Yeah, all the washings, the different types of washing.
9: Yeah, so you have your, you know, your pink washing, which is when workplaces try and use kind of queerness as a veil for some dodgy really behavior that occurs. And just then you have marketing,
5: your, you know, just The rainbows
9: a, around Mardi Gras. Mm, mm-hmm. And what's the other one? Green washing, green I think washing. is a big one at the moment.
5: Huge, very cool at the moment to yeah. wash your things in <laughs> green
9: <laughs> or, you know, wash coal if you're a conservative government. <laughs> um, but Cleo, do you want to introduce us to this term work washing?
5: So the idea of woke washing is basically just kind of co-opting, you know, social justice movements to increase sales to market to. I guess I guess what they're doing is trying to market to the usses of the world. Sometimes yeah. it works, but sometimes I'm noticing the younger audiences are becoming very like aware that that's what's happening, and it kind of turns them off, which is really really good.
9: <clears throat> yeah, I think a good example of that um, was during Black Lives Matter. Um, and I think it's important to note here that Woke actually originates from African-American um, communities and activist spaces. Mm-hmm. But we had that Jenna Pepsi oh ad. Oh, my
5: God.
9: Which, you know, took this moment, <sighs> this, you know, massive activist moment we human seeing with Black Lives Matter over in the States, and then they decided that they'd like to, you know, make a pretty coin out of that.
5: Oh, my God. That and was so cringeworthy. put a
9: very capitalist celebrity into the spotlight and try and be like, hey, this is cool. Activism's cool. Drink it. Pepsi. That was, <laughs> that
5: was crazy. She like cracks the Pepsi can open amidst this crowd that's protesting, and everyone just like falls silent. The kind of like the the focus comes in on Kendall Jenner, and then the violence and the and all of it's over. Like all it took was for her to open a can of Pepsi. Yeah, and it ended violence in america it was really quite powerful
9: may or may not have a few years back when i was a a very young spirited thing um worked for a particular retail company which Mm -hmm. was and is somewhat unfortunately still known as a very um progressive company Mm -hmm. and i know quite a few people you know like ourselves on the left who actually shop at this company still believing that it's you know a good ethical place yeah. to yeah, buy, I'm which is really sure. hard, you know, in a capitalist society that we live in. And it was interesting because I was under the same impression when I started working there as a casual worker. On can the I ask, did that
5: have some part in you applying
9: for that job? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was looking around for summer jobs. I think previously I'd worked for a jewelry store. I hated that. And I was just like, I need something that I care a little bit about, yeah. right? Where I can actually, you know, <laughs> tell myself that this is. I'm not just completely committing sins in the world. Yeah. And I just decided that I was going to apply for this company. I made it past the interview rounds and I got in. It was great. It was really welcoming space. People used pronouns, respected them. I had a couple of colleagues who were drag queens on the side. It was really fantastic. But then things fell apart pretty quickly.
5: Wow. So what ended up happening?
9: Well, I think what was really interesting, so despite the fact that I was working, or rather had worked in a shop front, metropolitan Sydney, and this warehouse was like way out in Western Sydney, but we were all part of this Facebook group. Mm. So that was the main kind of communication point between the warehouse workers, uh, the retail workers, and management were in there as well. Yeah. How this all came to light, what was happening on the warehouse floor in particular in 2020 was because a couple of warehouse workers put up a photo of this massive stockpile yeah. of products that they had pushed out under yeah. really atrocious conditions and essentially called out management uh, demanding a pay rise. They demanded working conditions and the post got flooded with comments from Whoa. people saying, I experienced this, I experienced this. Management did not do this, they did not do this. I think what was great is that's when we realised how big the problem was and that we needed to do something about it.
5: Whoa. I mean, I was going to save it till, like, later in the podcast, but I feel like it's a perfect time to talk about how important that communication is between workers on the floor.
9: Yeah, no, for sure. I think you never know when you're doing something alone if anyone else is experiencing the same thing until you talk to someone about it.
5: Mm -hmm. Um,
9: I knew... For example, quite a few of my colleagues in the retail space had encountered queer phobia, for example um from management and then I realized, especially after these warehouse workers started talking about it, that this was not just an isolated issue, this was a company wide problem
5: Wow,
9: so that was I think very enlightening and just really showed how important it was that we, as the workers you know producing profits for this company, which did turn up a pretty penny. <laughs> That
1: we needed to get together. Thanks to Cleo Cruz and Emma Hartley for that chat here on the job. That's a wrap for this week. Don't forget, join your union, Australianunions.org.au, and I'll catch you on the next edition of On the Job. Bye for now. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another special edition of We Rise Fighting Labor podcast. In this episode, we bring you an interview with Dr. Sharice Burton-Stelly. She is co-editor of the book Organized Fight, Win: Black Communist Women's Political Writing, and she is a professor at Wayne State University in Detroit.
0: Okay, we're here today with Dr. Sharice Burton-Stelly. We're honored to have you today here, uh, Doctor. And we usually ask our uh, guests just to uh, start by introducing yourself, a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. And and, uh, we're really happy to have you on the show. So welcome.
6: Sure. Thanks so much. My research sits at the intersection of critical Black studies, political theory, political economy, and intellectual history. And um, one of the main sort of foci of my work is the intersections of anti-Black racial oppression and anti-communism and anti-communism but as a synecdoche for sort of manifold forms of anti-radicalism from sort of internationalism to labor militancy to even anarchism and and all manifold forms of of sort of anti-radical repression and uh, I just completed a book manuscript called Black Scare Red Scare which is looking at the the intersections of of the Black Scare and the Red Scare, or anti-Black racial oppression and anti-radicalism between 1919 uh, 19 and 1957, so a similar time span to, to organize, fight, win, and just looking at the ways that um, the fed, all three branches of the federal government as well as state government sort of implicated a fear about Black liberation with um, like hostility toward economic democracy broadly conceived, and created discourses, modes of governance, and um, internal logic out of that—the imbrications of those of those fears. So that is what I do.
0: Well, the, uh, you have uh, a variety of primary uh, documents in the uh, in the book, which are quite something. And uh, just want, if you would speak to the role of uh, Black women communists as both theoreticians and as organizers. So.
6: Sure. Yeah. And I would say that so much of black women's theorizing comes out of their organizing work, whether they're organizing around the Scottsboro Boys or, or pushing for the for a union for domestic workers, or, you know, creating organizations like the Sojourners for Truth and Justice, or Um, You know, organizing around Black women being pushed out of the industrial sector um, during post-World War II demobilization. And so much of their work, so much of their thinking comes out of the practical work at the same time that we don't want to um, slip into the sort of fallacy that Lewis Gordon talks about where we only reduce Black people to experience and leave the theory to white folks, right? That we actually need to look at how it is that they're under, theory is like how do we understand the what and then how do we offer up a so what and that's precisely what these women are doing in all of, in this sort of panoply of writing that we collect the other thing too right is part of the dis, part of, one of the reasons why black people generally and black women particularly are left out of any studies of like the communist party for example is because of this idea this sort of anti-communist idea that you know, these people are dupes of Moscow, they're these robotic, like people who just tout the party line. But if you actually like drill down and look at what they're writing and what they're doing, they quote Lenin and Stalin and, you know, Marx sometimes, but they're really just like, (laughs) this is a class analysis of what organizing ought to look like in the South, right? This is a class analysis of why it is that we cannot have a proletarian revolution if we do not pay attention to domestic workers, right? Um, and in and, and practical things, like, you know, if you want to bring more black women into the Communist Party, white comrades need to dance with them. Because this, so because we're trying to sort of build the world that we want to see, we have to model those social relations as well. So I would say that those are some of the sides of sort of theory and practice within um within the text.
7: Right on, Dr. Burton
8: Stully, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure and very insightful. Yeah. Um, you know yeah I'm very excited to share this with our listeners Uh, thank you all for listening and we will be back next week with We Rise Fighting we're going to leave you off with some music thank you everyone and solidarity and love to all
0: That's it for this edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, our roundup of highlights from just a few of the more than 150 labor radio shows and podcasts that make up the Labor Radio Podcast Network. We've got links to the shows you heard today in the show notes. You'll find all the network shows at laborradionetwork.org, and you can also find them using the hashtag labor radio pod on twitter facebook and instagram labor radio podcast weekly was edited this week by patrick dixon i produce the show and our social media guru as always is mr harold phillips you can follow us on twitter and instagram at labor radio net find out more on our website laborradionetwork.org For Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock. Stay active and stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show.